Hi all, and welcome to the Grieving Back to Life podcast. This is a place where we will talk and share stories around grieving, receiving, growth, and turning your pain into peace. I am your host, Lauren Cheek, and like many of you, I have experienced my fair share of loss and grieving. It's been hard to process and transition, but what I've learned through this is that a lot of us have this unprocessed pain inside, but don't feel like we can talk about it or maybe don't know how to process it. My goal here is to help hold space for people and normalize these conversations around grief. I'll be sharing tools, resources, and insights from all kinds of different experts, as well as everyday amazing humans who have gone through the battle of grief and have been able to turn their pain into peace and purpose. So let's dive in and help each other through the process of grieving back to life. On today's episode, I am honored to highlight these two amazing women and all of the work that they are doing for the grieving community. You may be wondering to yourself, what even is a death doula? And trust me, you're not alone. I honestly felt the same way at first. And for the general population, most of us are not familiar with doulas and the work that they do. Death doulas are trained practitioners that help people and their loved ones through the end of life and post-life process. Today, Jill Schock and Ingrid Olquist, who have been in the end-of-life healthcare industry for over a decade, come on to shed some light on this topic and really explain what a death doula is. Today, we will be talking about the background of death doulas, how they can help, as well as sharing some practices and tools to help someone you love or yourself go through the grieving process and hopefully turn some of that pain into a little more peace. Jill and Ingrid are the founders and creators of Death Doula LA, a physical studio and online community started in 2016 to help bring awareness, work with clients one-on-one, as well as their teaching and training programs that certify people who want to become a death doula. I'm excited for you guys to hear this episode because it's packed with a lot of great information and actionable steps and tools that you can start applying right now. So let's dive in and get into it. Okay, we are back. I am so excited because I have two incredible women with me today that are going to really touch on death doulas, what that means, what that looks like, how they help. Um, And so Ingrid and Jill, thank you so much for coming on and welcome to the show. Hey, Lauren. Thanks so much for having us. We're so excited to be here. Jill and I love to riff off what we do and anytime we get to sit down and talk. It's a pleasure for us. (laughs) It really is. Thank you so much. Oh, of course. Well, it's an honor because I feel like I've recently just learned what a death doula is, how you guys help, and some of the tools that you guys are really able to facilitate and hold space for. And so I want to be able to kind of just start with the basics of what is a death doula for those of us who don't know. Um, okay, I'll start with this one and maybe Ingrid could take it a little further because there's like a basic, so there is actually a a historical definition and then there would be a modern context of a definition. And then we've kind of been expanding that into like our concept of doula and, um, stuff, right? So, um, historically, a doula is known as like a woman in service. And this word is Greek and it goes back pretty far in antiquity. And this would be someone who's like sort of like an ancient midwife um, who helps people through uh, their birthing process and post, um, but also just kind of being there to shepherd people 
through different kinds of transitions. I'm pretty sure doulas were also used in death and antiquity as well, but it's just not as talked about. Um, Modern day doulas are trained professionals um, who work with people who have a limited time left in life. Typically, they fall under the branch of six months or less, which is the requirement for hospice care. But sometimes we work with people a little bit longer. Um, We can do things like paperwork. We can help you plan your end-of-life goals, celebrations. um, And we can sit with you through the dying labor and be with you in that process. And future-wise... You know, we've been talking a lot, and we'll probably get into this a little bit in our community, you know, what a modern doula can do. And really, being a doula and doing the bedside work that we do is one part of our equation. And each doula has something else that they bring with them to their client. So we're kind of using this phrase of doula and, you know, maybe raking master, a grief guide, um, Mm -hmm. body worker, healer. And so we're finding that doulas today like have this extra set of skills that come with just, you know, their presence and also their willingness to be with death. Um, So, yeah, anything you want to add to that, Ingrid, about what a doula is? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So doulas are multifaceted. I would have to say, thank God Jill answered the historical context of that because that is her wheelhouse. And this I did know getting into doula work that doula does come from the Greek root word of, you know, a woman's servant. And I was in the birth postpartum sphere. So I was like, yeah, very attached to that. And then I didn't really recognize um, that labor and death was a thing until I experienced it from my own personal journey, but then also working with clients. And it's the doula work is such a holistic uh, practice and it's whole body. It's not this, uh, it's not just at the death. It's like your whole body, your psyche, your, your soul, everything is going through the dying process. And what doulas really do is create space. We're like space creators. Um, we are, we're here for all life transitions, whether that is a grieving cycle and how you transition through that throughout your lifespan or how that is, how you're dying, actively dying, what those transitions bring in that space. Um, your family's transitions, you know, from having someone physically there to not being physically there. We support in that as well. And we, I would say that we are pioneering um, a new definition of it, uh, the doula and. We're seeing a lot of people that are coming to the space because they have their unique lived experiences, their stories, you know. And we really, really want people to lean into that unique story. You just can't plan for anything. That's kind of what we expect as death doulas and doulas in general. Like, just throw your plans out the window. We just have it's to adapt so true. and go. It's actually so perfect for this conversation because I feel like we just have to maybe bring this into the podcast. You guys, the whole screen just blanked out. We just lost service. I was telling the girls, I have been having this like kind of cosmic joke of tech issues lately. And um, (laughs) so we are back. But she was just saying that you just can't really plan for anything. And um, I appreciate that you guys probably get that more than more than must so um (laughs) excited to keep going can you dive back into how premise of death doulas i feel like now have transitioned into this modern Mm -hmm. you know doula plus movement i think is really cool 
Yeah. So we're really, we're just witnessing this a lot now because so Jill and I have a digital death doula community. Uh, We also offer a death doula course and the people who are applying, like I was saying earlier, are people who are coming here from their own story, like their own lived experience. It's not, they're not coming because they read about death and dying or that they, you know, wanted to, that they have an obsession with death or anything like that. It's because they've experienced this firsthand and they're, they're coming to us as grievers, like lifelong grievers. As I was saying, you know, when we were talking before this started, Lauren, my story comes from a life altering loss and that can look different for everyone. What a life altering loss looks like where it's the disruptor in your life. It's what changes your course completely. You're starting this podcast coming from a life disrupting loss. It's, it's horrific, but it really makes you kind of, you're like a Phoenix rising from the ashes. You know, you're on fire. You're like trying to make meaning right now. How do I make meaning? And this is who's coming to our doorstep are these people who are on like like literally on fucking fire saying i need to change something right now and that's who we're inviting in we have to respect that this is not just someone who's trying to be a doula they are a doula and they are changing they're disrupting they're changing we work a lot with the funerary industry the medical industry these are hurt spaces they are coming from hurt places a hurt history jill will go into that too but Everyone's been hurt by them and the the dying, the families, they've all been unintentionally. It's not, I'm not here to say, you know, doctors try their, their hardest nurses. Oh my God. They do more than they're paid to do, you know? And they, a lot of them want to become death doulas because they're like, we need to support our people better. Um, Mm -hmm. So we are just saying like, okay, this has existed for so long, the term doula, but how are we, adapting and adjusting to this new society that we live in this modern time how are we making sure people are are bringing their stories forward bringing their lived experience forward so so many other people can see themselves in this person you know and we want to make sure we're uplifting that continuously um and i would say that's how doula is changing because it's not just the singular role or duty it is so multifaceted. It is so layered. And we want to make sure that we're not diminishing any of those layers. We're not taking the depth out of it. And I think it is something that people don't know what doulas are. <laughs> it's like death doulas. Yeah. People are like, their their eyes go cross. They're like, what the fuck is that? What are you doing? Like, do you just, are you just sitting with the dying? No, 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 we are not. We're doing, we're doing the pre-planning. We're sitting at the bedside. We're helping the the, the grieving family. We're creating things that don't exist too. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. spectrum of care. This isn't um, you have one role. And this is something that we encourage so many people in our network to look at is that where do you fall on this spectrum of care? We don't want you to take care of the spectrum. We don't want you to do it all because when you do it all, you get burnt out. You're not able to really sit in the space that you're meant to be sitting in and holding for those people. So we want to make sure that everyone's finding their niche within this niche (laughs) Um, and and really making sure that they're serving to the best of their ability, I would say. Uh, But, yeah, a lot of people are just go cross. Like, what is a death doula? And it's 
uh, it's an inv- it's we're reinventing that. I don't know. It's 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 a hard answer. You know, it's a it's a it's a hard answer to say because it's not just the singular thing. Um, it goes into holding layers and depths that I think that most people in the world have experienced, especially when they have a life altering loss. They kind of get it. They're like, oh, wow this is life. This is what this means. It's isolating and it's weird and it's disorienting, but there's so much more meaning behind um, your lived experience when you have these things. Like just in your life, there's so much more meaning. Um, And that's what we're trying to nurture and support right now. Oh my gosh. So much. Yes. That is so beautiful. And thank you for just highlighting all of that and sharing and I totally agree. I think when you go through something so, you know, sometimes traumatic, it is, it does have all this depth and heaviness to it. And I think that the work that you guys are doing is truly revolutionary in the sense that it is progressive. It is moving, um, you know, us forward as a, as a culture, as a society and being able to offer that level of help and care and, go to those depths with people I think is so beautiful because I think anybody who's experienced you know loss and grief knows that those depths are dark and it can be really heavy I think a lot of people get the wrong impression of death doulas and the work that you guys do and even when I was telling some of my friends about having you guys on, they're like, death doula, like what? Like, and I think a lot of people almost think, I don't know, it's witchy or it's something that it's totally not. And so do you guys get that reaction a lot? I know you said that a lot of people kind of look at you funny when you tell them you're a death doula, but what is people's typical reaction of what a death doula is when they don't know? Um, I think they want more of a definition. I think they do. People do lean into like, are you like a death groupie or are you trying to be like a witch or are you, you know, like dark magic type stuff is kind of where people will land. And, you know, that just goes along with the connotation of death. And it's actually natural for humans as human beings, conscious human beings to be um, opposed to already thinking about death. And so they want to cover it up with something like um, a mythos or a character like a witch or a goth or something like that, instead of like seeing the actual human being that's actually a practitioner of kindness, space holding light. Um, And, you know, we actually really work with the light side of things and try to bring a lot of living and joy into the space. And we're not, we are not doom and gloom people. We are not depressed because of our job. (laughs) A lot of people ask that, isn't your job depressing? And it's like, actually, no, we have the chance to live. Uh, we liberate people out of the box that is the depressing version of death, right. you know? And so, yeah, none of those things really apply to us unless there are, there are doulas who lean into some of that because that's a part of their doula and, um, but as like a whole, you know, we're actually really light uplifting people and we, we really want to go for joy and, and, um, and, and comfort. 
Yeah, you guys are trying to help and serve. And it's like, we don't call other practitioners, you know, witches and like, whatever, like, we would never call like a doctor a witch, you know. (laughs) So it's like, I think when you're helping it's it's truly um i think when you explain it they're like oh okay that's amazing but i think the the name sometimes puts people off and so it's really interesting it's kind of another example of us kind of shying away from death altogether as a society and as a whole and uh one of the catalysts of starting this was that kind of reason that we really shy away from talking about death and so since you guys are around it and talking about it all the time how would you say or what would you say is a way that people could maybe start having those conversations a little bit easier or normalizing that around their friends and family? Um, question. It is a great question, but I just want to touch on why people are afraid to have this conversation mm, because it goes very deep into our human makeup. And this is existential philosophy one-on-one, but because 101, because we are conscious human beings, we are able to reflect on the fact that our life is finite. Like we all have dogs. Our dogs run around all day with goofy little smiles on their faces, wagging their tails. They have no concept that one day they will die. They're not like mm-hmm. moping around thinking about this. Human beings are able to do that. And so in order to cope for that, we come up with different things that we bond with, like um, personal identity, uh, religion, deeply involved in the culture and things like that. So it's human nature to be afraid or deny death, which is Ernest Becker's work, you know, all the way back from the 1960s. So I just want to, like, make sure people understand that it's normal that you're afraid of death and that that's OK. Yeah. 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 And also to kind of answer your question, Lauren, uh the best thing you can do is just to talk about it, like provide space for it. I know that it, it feels kind of taboo and scary because a lot of people that don't talk about death, it's because it's their own death anxiety. It's this fear of their own, their mortality. If I talk about it, it's going to happen to me. Like, here's a little secret. It's going to happen to you no matter what you do. Right. It's inevitable. <laughs> it's inevitable <laughs> whether you. you talk about it or not. We find that you, with people who don't talk about it, uh, get more anxious or more isolated. And then that's when your mind can really go into a space where you're spiraling um, and dissociating, disconnecting from life, you know? So there is this avoidance that happens that the avoidance is not, like, it's not throwing you into life. It's taking you out of life. It's actually removing you from your present moment, the presence, the the interaction that you're having in that space. So to avoid it is like a disservice to, to live, to living, I think. And uh, I do, if for your advice for people, like how do we talk about it? Just talk about it. Open up the space to say, um, hey, you know, grandma died last year and it's the holidays. Like what can we do to like honor her today, you know? And it's not necessarily that we have to obsess over how she died or when she died. It's the fact where it's like, how can we remember her and honor a legacy? And in that way of honoring legacy, you're honoring death, that the death had happened, but now we're trying to reinvent this relationship. A big thing in my grief work is, you know, how do I have a relationship with my person? How do we do this now? 
And it's finding those ways that we can connect with our people that aren't obviously on this physical plane, but are in a, in a more emotional, spiritual space um, where we are making their favorite foods. We're listening to their favorite songs. We're talking about memories. Um, we're wearing their sweaters or something. You know, we're doing something that brings us closer to them. And we don't have to have this actual connection that we're used to. You know, we're used to talking to our people that they're right in front of us. Talk to them a little bit. Like, damn, this recipe is really fucking hard. I can't believe I have to make this every year. Like, why are you this way? You know, you're so particular. All these things. I don't know. There's just ways to interact with death or the dead that don't have to be this sad experience it's also yeah. enmeshed where it's like we it's a good reminder just to know that joy and pain are live on the same coin it's just how you flip it it's and it's going to continue to flip throughout your life you're going to have you know pain and you're going to emote those experiences but don't deny the joy side either that is uh, also yes. there and yeah i just recommend just talking about it and also i'm sure lauren as you've experienced you know you're you're in your first full year of just, you know, grieving your partner's loss. And that's extraordinary, extraordinarily difficult and isolating. And a lot of people will come to me, something, you know, happened to someone they know that they loved or their dad died or their partner died or their baby died. You know, what do I say, Ingrid? What do I say? And I say, just show up, just Mm -hmm. be there. It's the space you provide. So when those people want to say something, you're there to listen. It's not about healing or taking them away from that pain. That disenfranchises their experience. Don't minimize this because it's uncomfortable for you. Maximize space because you love them. Like oh, that's just so beautiful. Yeah, yes. I 100% agree. And I think that that is truly the best gift you can give somebody is to hold space and like you said to show up and be there in whatever capacity they need and I think that sometimes when you're especially when you're first experiencing it you don't know what you need and so just having somebody there that's just there you know and I think being able to listen um, and especially the biggest thing that I've found is not put your own opinions or views or especially like when it comes to like religious stuff Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've seen that happen a lot and heard that same thing with a lot of other friends I've experienced it of, you know, family and friends trying to put their views or opinions onto them. Um, and I think that that can be so hard and triggering sometimes. Um, and like, I think also the mindless questions I'll say, like, I was shocked, uh, that when, when I first went through losing D that everyone's first questions were, how are you and are you okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, I'm fucking terrible and I'm not okay, actually. Thanks for reminding me all over again. And I know that it wasn't, you know, this malicious thing. I know it was met with love and, um, you know, it's all good. But it just reminded me that sometimes we really just use words thoughtlessly and carelessly and we don't really think about um, how it can impact or trigger someone. And I think when you're in such a vulnerable place, everything triggers you. And so being yeah. able to hold space for someone, like you said, is, is truly a gift. Absolutely. Um, I, words are so limiting. 
we do not have enough words to use to provide support to anyone that's going through a loss of a person. Um, I have found that through, (laughs) I want the words. If anyone has the right words, please let me know. I will (laughs) gladly take them, but they're at, from what I understand, there are no words. There are literally no words you can say. And that is so disorienting for people who want to help. It's just like, this is all I know how to do is speak. I'm a, you know, language is a such a tool that we use to communicate. And when we're entering this space, this veil of just grief and death, and you're like, wow, actually words are not the leader in this conversation or in this interaction. It's how you physically show up for people. It's what you do for people. It's just mm-hmm. those reminders or, you know, it's what you do two weeks after the funeral that matters the most yeah. or three months down the road when you're just so alone and you're like, you go, you wake up every day, you walk outside and you're like, no one fucking knows what I just went through. How are you all yeah. grocery shopping with a smile on your face? Don't you know who died? <laughs> like, like that is like what we're feeling and carrying. We just want everyone to feel what we're feeling. So acknowledging that in your in your community, acknowledging that how you interact with the strangers in your life, um, where you just kind of hold everyone in love and reverence and just appreciation. I think that is just a big thing that we can do and practice. So when it does come onto our doorstep, you know, our best friend loses their the love of their life. You aren't foreign to this interaction, this wordless interaction with people, and you know how to hold space for people. I think it's really important that we keep that in mind and and lead with that um, in our own societies and communities, for sure. Um, But yeah, words are just useless. So it feels weird, guys. Just trust me on this, though. Say less. Mm -hmm. Say less. Just show up. I love it. Say less, show up more, (laughs) hold more space. Hug more, you know, instead of asking a grieving person, how are you? Just open your arms and see if they come for a hug. A heart hug. I I was taught the other day, um, Jessie Mae, if you're listening, I love you. You, She taught me about a heart hug where you, Mm -hmm. you go on the left side. So that way, literally your hearts touch when you hug. And uh, there's a whole science behind it um, and how powerful um, just the human touch and hugging can be. So I love that. And I totally agree. So connecting. Another thing is just like, do you want to watch a movie? Like let's just come over and sit next to each other in silence. And then just being there. Do you need your laundry done? Those are questions you can answer. Yeah. Actually, I haven't done my laundry in three weeks. I would love that. Can you just come and like that? While I do your laundry, why don't you go take a bath or a shower or eat something? You know, all those little simple, like, hygiene practices and normative practices that people who aren't deep in grief and sorrow can do without thinking. People who are in grief forget to eat, drink water, um, you know, get dressed, things like that. And so remembering that those very human things might not be getting done, you know, and offering space for them as well is very, very helpful. Yeah, Yeah. so beautiful. And I think too, Ingrid, you touched on it of like, you know, a couple weeks later, a couple months later, a year later, like check on your check on your people, because a lot of us are, you know, sometimes suffering in silence. And I think, you know, 
it's normal to have those waves of emotions. And um, I think to just even just say, I've been really into voice notes the last couple of years. And so I send everyone voice notes. So I'm just like, hey, just checking in, like sending love and light, like, you know, call me, Um, you know, like little check-ins like that, uh, that you can leave people, I think goes a long way. And even if they don't even respond to you, they're like, wow, that person's like there for me. And they like care and they checked in and like, you know, cause it's like when it first happens, everybody bum rushes you and, you know, wants to know what happened and wants to be by your side and wants to, you know, do all the things. And then a month later, it's like everyone's moved on and the person who's grieving has not moved on. And so, um, we haven't I think, even processed you know, it. Yeah. Right. God. Yeah. yeah. So I think being able to show up in the simple ways are big when it comes to that. That's very typical, you know, the, the kind of the left behind, like you're right. Everybody does rush in at first and then, you know, they don't have the words, but they're trying to use words and then everybody goes away kind of at the same time. And Mm -hmm. this is one of the things that I think is, uh, we need to be more aware of about grief because it is those like couple months after that people hit probably the lowest of low. And when they actually do need someone to reach out and be like, Hey, I know you might not even feel like being alive right now, but um, can I bring you some enchiladas tonight? And can I help you do your laundry? Can Mm -hmm. I walk your dog? You know, just those little things. And then that grieving person can be like reminded that somebody does care. Because I think a lot of times grievers, the isolation can really get to them. And that can just, like you said, can lead you to a very dark place. Um, And it's good to you know, have your friends keep showing up, you know, later in your process as well. Yeah, absolutely. Were you going to say something, Ingrid? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of add to that because just so everyone understands, you know, when we go through a loss, we have these rituals put into place to help um, our loss be seen, to have our grief be validated. It's big expressions from community. Um, like, you know, we have wakes or funerals or memorial services, things like that, where you have this moment of togetherness and, and, and understanding and shared experience, right? So the importance of checking in with someone down this line of months to a year to even two years, three years is so critical because it is isolating, Jill. It Like what you said, it's an isolating emotional experience, but it will always be isolating because no one will understand how you feel. And that's okay. Like no one is here to say, I get it. They just need to say, I'm here for you. We don't need yeah. the I get it. You know, we right. just need the I'm here for you. So that showing up in those physical ways, kind of telling them like, hey, I know that you're going to need this, you know, because it's it's better for someone else to think for you in that way, you know, when it's just getting done those basic needs. Um, but just, just understanding that the, like what you're saying, the bum rush of, of it's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming experience. Yeah. It also stops you in your tracks. Cause it's, it's surreal. It's a surreal moment that's happening right now. You feel like you're in a dream, which I'm sure a lot of people will tell you, or will say to you like this, I don't even feel like this is real life right now. So think of it that way, where even when the immediate rituals are happening, the processing isn't even, hasn't even begun yet. It's when the settling happens is when it starts integrating into our 
our minds and our bodies. And it shows up physically, it shows up emotionally, and it just continues to integrate slowly and slowly throughout your entire life, really, just shape shifts in different ways. But that first year, you're not going to really truly accept, not accept, I shouldn't say that word. Um, You're not going to really truly understand what happened until probably six months later. You know, you're going to be like, it's going to really start resonating with you. Like, okay, I've been living this life. I'm walking this road, you know, but I've been kind of in a dream state. And then it starts, you start waking up slowly, I would say. So it's just so critical that we all honor this. And if you haven't experienced it, you know, it, just, just trust us on this, you know, um, just trust us that this is how people are kind of integrating loss and it's not this immediate, we accept it or we haven't processed it yet. We, it, it's not real life yet, you know? So just oh to keep God, that in so mind. True. Yeah, yeah. You're like functioning or barely functioning, I would say, mm-hmm. um, when you first experience it. And then from there, you kind of just yeah, like you said, it's this aftershock of it hits you maybe months later. Um, and then it's this kind of ongoing process that never ends of learning how to, I always say, like, unpack, like, the heaviness of the boxes and to, like, shine light onto the mm-hmm. heaviness and the darkness and to be able to transmute kind of the the sadness and the pain into the beauty of, like, the time that you did have with that person and that time is so limited and if we look at it that it truly is this precious beautiful gift that we're given then it it goes into gratitude and appreciation of like wow I'm so grateful I even met this person that they were even in my life that I got to you know know them and I think that helps you well gratitude I think just always will help you shift Uh, your perspective and your paradigm quickly into a higher vibration. But I think especially when you're going through something so hard and heavy, you need to be able to have little quick tools like that, that you can kind of pull out of your toolkit. Um, And so I would love to kind of touch on that of for the people that, you know, maybe made it through the initial shock of, the loss mm-hmm. and now are into the kind of that aftershock of really starting to process it. Mm-hmm. What would you guys mm-hmm. say are some like tools or maybe methods that that could help somebody who's maybe going through that, that point right now? Yeah. Well, I think what you were saying kind of practicing gratitude is a really beautiful thing. Sometimes it's hard to see, see what you're grateful for in, in a loss um, life feels unfair and that's okay. Uh, but I will say that, like I said, you can kind of spiral and get lost in, in negative thoughts or cycles or, or sadness and grounding is such a great exercise to kind of tether you to the physical world and the earth. And maybe even if you have to zoom out because it's hard to feel grateful for what's in your immediate vicinity, but maybe you can be grateful for the fact that you were born, that you live on earth. Like, so like zoom out, you know, sometimes that helps me just, um, it's hard to get unstuck when you're really zoomed in. So if you can zoom out far, just say that you're grateful for, you know, whatever, like whatever you feel grateful in that moment, but grounding into it, like truly putting your feet on the ground and, 
and maybe even barefoot. I love nature for, for grounding purposes. I call it nature bathing. A lot of things that I do with my own clients um, is we go on nature walks and it's really to get our body present before um, we talk. And typically that helps people emote and communicate. So we'll be hiking and we'll be immersed in nature and you, you feel you're immersed in natural rhythms and cycles. And that is what grief is. It's a natural rhythm and cycle of life. You don't experience grief without love. You don't experience loss without con human connection. Um, it's impossible. You can't lose something you never had, you know? So yeah. it's really, it's really important to understand that. And when you're immersed in these rhythms and cycles of nature, you start feeling connected. There's like this oneness. You're not separate from this experience on earth. You're not separate from it. You're immersed in it. You're part of it. Your person was a part of that. And however you, when you connect with that, I find that you connect deeper to your person and that there really isn't so much distance from each other. It's, you know, your person is now a different form of energy. I truly, you know, it's just, you're all, we're all energy. We're all made of atoms. We're all made of things. And now it's like just displaced energy. It's in a different form. It's elsewhere, but we're still connected in this, this, um, we're still connected in that energy and in this natural rhythm and cycle. Like our humanness is connected to death. So like intimately. So nature bathing is what I call it. We go on walks. We let nature just wash over us. It helps us emote, helps us kind of express what we're moving through. Um, also, I encourage people to talk to their person. Don't stop talking to them. Uh, it's okay that they don't answer you in the same way. And that may help you cry if you're feeling like you can't cry, you know, uh, or you can laugh or you can, it, it's just, they're there to listen. Um, as long as they're alive in your mind and your heart, they're, they're eternal. You know, they're, they don't cease to exist because they're not physically here. You carry them with you everywhere and, and there's still opportunity for you to connect with them and you should truthfully connect with them. Yeah, absolutely. We carry their light forward. And I think there's so much um, release when you can kind of uh, find your way of connecting with your person. Um, and for me, I've been writing a lot of letters and journaling really helps me uh, kind of connect. And also just through meditation, I've been able to really connect. And so that's really helped me. But I, I love that you brought up uh, nature bathing and uh, grounding. And there's so much science behind that too of us as humans, we build up so many ions and negative ions within our body. And when we connect our skin to the earth, there is a science um, of the, <laughs> that basically our negative ions are released and mm -hmm. that it's this beautiful cycle that's so natural and so human. And like you said, it really connects us to nature and it, when you zoom all the way out and you look at everything, we really are just energy. And um, I like that you said that it's been just kind of transferred into a different form. And I like to look at it like that too, of um, they're just kind of on a different frequency, a different level and that you can still tap in and connect with them. And so I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful way yeah. of looking at it. 
Yeah, I agree. Also, it's a practice. I want to just reiterate that to everyone too. It's not, there are going to be days that you do it and you're like, I don't feel my person. They're not here and that's okay. You didn't do it wrong. Sometimes it just feels lost, you know, and that's okay. And a big thing that I remind myself is tomorrow's a new day. Today wasn't my day and that's okay. Please continue to show yourself grace Um, We are in a hamster wheel of productivity in this society. And if we don't feel like we're productive, we don't feel good. (laughs) We feel like we failed in some way. And when you put grief on top of that, your life is so different. Things feel horrible. Uh, You you can't be productive. And that is okay. You You don't have to be. Your job while you're grieving is to grieve. That is the only thing you're supposed to be doing. Your community will you know, like, like will support your community will support you, your, your job will support you, you just have to be honest about where you are, maybe sometimes, maybe not, but um, you just have to be honest about where you are, be authentic to your process. It will serve you, it will serve your future self more than you know, and showing yourself grace now will give you the opportunity to really rise from, you know, more ashes in the, in the future, being that fire, that Phoenix that I was talking about earlier. Uh, I just want everyone to know that give themselves permission. It's really hard. And if you feel bad about it, tell your friends, they will give you permission. If you need someone to give you permission to rest, to take care of yourself, to be easy on yourself, please do it. Okay. It's, you're not expected to be, um, high performing you shouldn't expect yourself whatever that looks like you know yeah Yeah. i say space for grace sorry go ahead jill i mean like i I just wanted to say and grief can be an incredibly powerful catalyst to push you forward into something you never thought was possible for you like here you are doing this podcast I'm sure you never thought that you would dive headfirst into a pool of learning about grief and talking to people about grief. Sure didn't. (laughs) That's the same for each of us as well. You know, I used to work in museums. You know, I never thought I would have like a career as a death doula. That wasn't even on my radar until this was something that I experienced and was like, okay, this needs more attention and, and more guidance than anybody really realizes. So this might, grief might be a beautiful catalyst for some people to open up a door in their life that might have not otherwise been opened. And yeah. I hope people can remain open to that even in, in their darker spaces. 100%. Yeah, truly turning your pain into purpose. And I think you guys hold such beautiful space for not only your community, but with what you're doing with being able to help people um, become death doulas. And so do you guys want to kind of touch on that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we've created something very unique. Um, You know, there's been some death doula trainings that have come up um, in the past. And really like during the pandemic, I was looking like at the quality of those trainings and where they were coming from and just saw that there was like a lot to be still discussed. And there was a lot lacking, honestly. So I went back and wrote down and put everything that I knew into um, a course structure. So I literally just mind dumped everything that I had 
um, into this course. And um, now we have it living on a mighty network and we walk three, like, people through a 16 week course and we cover everything from history, philosophy, to paperwork, to alternative burial options, to family dynamics. And then Ingrid takes it even more forward into like the grieving aspect and what happens kind of after death and dying. Um, so we not only offer courses though, we offer community because being a death worker is a specific choice and it comes with a great deal of need for self-care, self-regulation and community to be able to be like, Hey, I experienced this today with this family and I'm kind of feeling off and um, can we talk about it? Because like you said earlier, the last thing we want to do is dump anything that we have into our clients and their families. Um, so having a community space that you can do that, talk about how you're feeling, talk about topics that no one else but death workers would talk about, you know, that's what our community is really all about. And I'm so happy to say that we have such a successful group and that most of them are out there thriving with their websites, with their clients, with their communities. And I'm just so impressed by everyone who's studied with us and is in our community is doing great things. And our bigger goal was always to get more help to the dying and the grieving. And that's exactly what we've been doing for these past years. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, we're very proud that's of what so we good. created. Yeah. So amazing. I am, I am so happy that you guys came on today because I hope that everyone was able to take a lot away from this. I know I sure have. And thank you for just all of the work that you guys continue to do. And so I think lastly, if somebody is going through it right now, whether they're grieving or they're, uh, they know someone who's grieving, how can somebody work with you guys one-on-one? Uh, -on -one? Well, you can uh, go on to deathdoulala.com and you can just fill out an inquiry form and Jill will be in contact with you. Um, I do offer private grief counseling. Uh, my I go by the Wounded Healer, so you can always go on thewoundedhealer.love uh, and you can fill out an inquiry form there. We're very reachable. We're very accessible. We are attached to our emails so <laughs> you will hear back from us within a day. But if you are, um, I would say, having trouble at this very moment and you're feeling disconnected uh, or isolated, please just reach out to someone closest to you and just be honest with them about where you're at. I know it feels hard to reach out when you're so stuck and deep inside self, um, but just just trust and know that someone will be there to receive you and hold you right now. Uh, there's a lot of loving people out there. I think from what Jill and I have recognized through all of these incredible applicants to our perfect form, form 101 course is that these people that are coming to us are just incredible individuals. And I cannot feel more gratitude to be able to interact with those who have walked such a unique path to get here and to have so much love to give and so much space to give. And it, it's really just gives us so much hope. Uh, and so they're out there, people just reach out to friends, family, or, and you know, us as well. We'll be here for you. 
Yes, absolutely. You're not in it alone. You do not need to go through it alone. Build your support system and continue to add tools into that toolkit. And we will obviously link everything in the show notes below. But thank you, ladies, so, so much. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with or share before we go? Uh, We do have uh, a course coming up January 13th. So if you are being called to becoming a death doula, you can also go on deathdoulala.com and click courses and apply. Again, the course starts on January 13th. It's all digital. Uh, And so, yeah, we would love to have you if you're interested. Incredible. Incredible. Well, thank you again. And we will love you and leave you here. Bye, everyone. That's another episode of Grieving Back to Life podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow for more. And tune in every Sunday for new episodes. Follow us on Instagram, Grieving Back to Life. Or check out our website, grievingbacktolifepodcast.com for resources and more tips and tools for helping you grieve with grace and turn your pain into peace and purpose. See you then.